is a country beyond that which is known to humankind. A stray country. A country that exists west of October. Whose borders are somewhere between midnight train whistles and the distant hell of a dog. A country that lies somewhere in the stitched and jittering static between radio stations. A country that drifts through America like a traveling salesman. But every now and then stops to nest on a small town. A small church. A single street. And maybe, just maybe, some kind of delayed radio broadcast you've stuffed in your ears. Chapter 47 Big Squeal and Radio Static It worked for about 11 seconds, but a rattling cough came knocking at the door, fiddling the cracks, and God may have been away on business because Billy's prayer hadn't worked. They all held their breath. Their cigarettes simmered in the cellar dank. The sack sniffing at the storm cellar door like some kind of tornado prowling on cat tread. A beast, Baskerville's black hound, something raised from the dead, but had never been alive in the first place. Born, dead, electrocuted alive, something the coffin nails couldn't hold down. Some kind of linchpin to society that gave everyone a death rattle cough. Couldn't be exiled once it had been made. Had to be there, a piece of society worse than alcohol, which lawmen found out during Prohibition that people only drank more and worked less and killed more and died more and above all, drank more. And so had to be repealed and all the disappointed and enlightenedest had to admit that it hadn't worked, and people hadn't replaced drink with theater and books and community service, and had to admit, had no choice because of the failed experiment that in America, life with alcohol was less evil than life without. Of the two evils, they had seen both, and had to make bed with the lesser. So was this plastic sack, sniffing at the cellar door, something society had made, and made badly, but couldn't break free from. No, was in too deep. Had to be its bedfellow, because now it was alive. The janitor held his breath. The boy's cigarettes did not stir. Did minutes of their last huffed breaths lingered in the cellar air. All were waiting to see if the thing at their door would pass. Pass and pass them by. And why hadn't they slaughtered a lamb and sloshed the blood above the door? Thought Billy. Just in case. And how can you beat the goddamn thing? Thought Jack. There must be a way. And please, thought the janitor, please let me save these boys. Don't let them go the way of my sons on the river. Outside, all three could hear the spitting leaves fall from trees like barroom brawl teeth. 
and the thing at the door juiced itself alive on the electricity of the wind, revved a howl through the reverent lungs of the wide-mouthed plastic sack, a mouth made to take in all the shit-show carnival fare of convenience stores. High fructose this and saturated that's Surgeon General warnings and coffin nails for the mornings. Meat that can't spoil and cheese without milk. Six packs and twelve packs and eighteen packs and twenty-four packs. And all the reverse candy wrappers. Where once candy had been made of cocoa beans and smashed up peanuts and confectionery caution, but as the wrapper slid from paper to plastic to almost plastic, so did the quality inside, like the candy had been good, but was tainted, led down the primrose path to the landfill by the Ponzi scheming wrappers cooked up by American men trying to save a dime. So as the wrappers slid first, they whispered to the candy, and cocoa went away, and fructose came aboard, and sugar became the new dictator. Then corn syrup, and high fructose corn syrup, and stuff called peanut butter that no peanut would recognize at a family reunion. Until today, where stomach would be hard-pressed to tell the difference between the wrapper and the candy. Because inside the wrapper was just as much garbage as the wrapper itself. Yes, this was the kind of shit show fair plastic sacks had grown morbidly obese on. This was the kind of big feed they'd binged on. And the sack, animated by the wind, which was really just the combined pressings of suburban sleepers turning over to the B-side of dreams, sniffed at the storm cellar door. Billy lay in the storm cellar dark, deep in the spook alley hour, buried in blood-curdled country, with a cigarette waiting on his lips, a white plastic sack waiting at his door. He was very far from his own house, but it no longer felt like home. He suddenly missed a million things at once. Parents that held hands took photographs, Went on vacation, saw grandma and grandpa, dad's laugh, mom playing Gershwin, neighbors come over to study scriptures, watching a movie as a family, sitting on a blanket under a tree in the front yard summer days, dad waiting for him in the front yard after school to play football in the autumn leaves until dinner, the summer reading programs mom took him to at the library, behind the church, baseball with dad, dinner time. Warm lights, soft voices, bunk beds, shared rooms, the sound of mom chopping vegetables, the white noise of ball football leaking from the TV room, sitting down to dinner as a family. Why? They hadn't done that since. A blistering dispatch broke Billy's thoughts like a stick. The sound of the sack wriggling through the storm cellar door cracks like a worm headed for China. The janitor took a deep drag. Boys, he whispered. They shucked and hummed their lungs on the white sticks in their mouth. The sack kept digging through crack, crawling through cranny. Oh, God, thought Billy. I know that sound. Where have I heard it before? Was it the lowest tones of old Lady Brogan's voice? The deep range only made possible by forty years of smoking. Whispers 
from a voice on the deep end of a cigarette. No, thought Billy. Something else. Something more familiar. But what? Yes, it did sound like cigarettes silvering the hair of an old woman. But that wasn't all. It sounded like a junkyard casting call and many other things. The lost footing of an aged ballroom dancer. The crack and crinkle of fine lines showing in a southern belle's smile. The bugled retreat of a buxom bosom. The sprouting of ear hair. The lengthening of nostrils. The evaporation of pigment. The cry of hair gone limp. Finally beaten to bent by the bowl bully of gravity. A chicken scratch reading, yes, some palm reader turning a hand over all the days scratched into the face of an 88-year-old woman. But it didn't just sound like all those sounds raw, crude, and unrefined, held out in the tobacco-lit lamplight. No, it sounded like all those sounds, broadcast through a radio. Yes, and more. Sounded like fire. Like fireflies caught in campfires. No, cigarettes put out on fireflies, yes. Like cigarettes wilting away the quiet hours of a widow's silver years. Like matchsticks struck on the front teeth of boys. Like long after midnight furnace growls deep in winter. Like noir film cigarette lighters pissing light beneath fedoras. Like the hush of boys lighting gasoline on fire for the first time. Like cattle branding on a Saturday night. It sounded like the one suburban house fire Billy had seen, spitting all the crackle of family photographs from the flung open door. It sounded like fire ants marching, like Trotsky's Red Army on parade, a firing squad gunning down a convict, a traitor, a treasonous, yes, the white plastic sack wriggled its way through almost solid matter. Something built to keep storms at bay, but couldn't keep a fucking sack away, and all the while shouting a firebrand kind of broadcast, the sound of fire through the ages, riding the waves, curling all the streetwise encyclopedia uses of the word fire. Jack, Billy whispered. Mister, Jack whispered. Moors. The janitor replied and tripped a breaker on his lungs. The boys remembered the smoke. The sack was almost through. It sounded like a bad linchpin radio, dragging a sack of all the world's terrible burnt radio voices, and like a peddler, it would rummage the sack itself, try on a new horrible voice, toss it over his shoulder. Sift the sack again, find a new voice, something from a forgotten horror film, snickering at the playtime with a snort that sounded of someone putting chocolate in a box and laughing. Each voice, an old lady kiss scaring children. And as that sack wriggled, the last piece of its paramecium self through the crack, Billy thought, no, not houseflies. No, not fireflies. Flies on fire. House flies hitting from heat, falling apart from flame. Yes, Billy could hear their wings. 
Yes, the only way anyone ever knew a fly was around, because they talked through their wings. Billy could hear their wings melt like hot wax, like a penny paid I carry an understudy flown too close to the pageant sun. But the sun was only a campfire, a cigarette, a lighter flame, a trail of match-rubbed gasoline, singing hot gospel songs. Yes, flies on fire, coming through the static of a transistor radio. That was the sound of a plastic sack walking on the wind. And why not? Wasn't that fabric made of fly wings? Hadn't some bad dream seamstress fiddled her fingers to the bone, plucking the wings off 333,000 flies just to sew together the first plastic sack? The progenitor. The prototype. Yes. And why not? Because Billy had read they plucked 75 ducks raw just to make one down comforter. So why hadn't they harvested the wings off flies to make the first plastic sack? And hadn't it always made sense? Even before he had made sense of it, flies, attracted to garbage and dog shit, the white convenience store sack buzzed and loitered and nested on shit show fare. Sub-carnival garbage truck food, yes, and all the food to make you fat, and cheese without dairy and meat that didn't need refrigeration, and candy worse than the wrappers, and cigarette chews and six-packs. Wasn't it all the kind of shit the flies would buzz their wings over? Wasn't the white plastic sack just a Frankenstein of fly wings? Wasn't it just the single biggest fly wing ever made? The sack crackled like a campfire, and Billy had one last thought. Wait, the fly wings, not sewn together with thread, no, seared together with fire. Yes, because hadn't he read it in the encyclopedia? Sacks weren't sewn, but heat-sealed. And that's what it sounded like, the buzzing of one big fly wing broadcast through radio. The sack flickered into the storm cellar. Sounded like a radio. And Billy threw another prayer to heaven. The molar and rot next to all the prayers about his parents staying together. And Jack grit his teeth, said inside himself, the modern world made this thing. Can't it beat this thing? And the janitor looked the boys over reading their shadows like trash dime novels, and thought, please, let me save these boys. Don't let them go the way of my boys on the river. And the sacks shambled their way, broadcasting the buzz of 333,000 pairs of plucked fly wings. Oh, scarecrow shadows, phantasmagorical puppet show. This sack, the repository of dead men's things, and maybe, just maybe the lost bits and pieces of Miss Mary Brogan, hand puppet of Philip Morris, USA. The sack, very much at home, there, in the storm cellar, sauntering across the space like it knew the storms, pissed down upon them, laughed and snickered and told them what to do like playthings. 
maybe even remembering what it was like in its very own nursery, because hadn't the sack been made in a place not so different? Wasn't a factory an above-ground cellar where men wrestled a makeshift storm? And the sack was coming for all their lungs, one by one. The janitor stood, sucked so deep he sandpapered a solid minute off his life, blew the mortuary dust towards the sack. The boys stood, were too afraid to smoke, too afraid watching this sack shuck and jive on the tributaries run off the outside rivers of autumn. The janitor sucked again, smiled under the emolic glow like he'd forgotten just how goddamn good it felt to burn. To look up at the sun and say fuck you, because you can't burn me anymore. No more burning away days, and wives, and Saturday afternoon picnics, and uncles and aunts and children in the river. No more burning churches and women and good towns and safe streets, and houses and lawns and backyards and toy closets, and the female form, and male muscles and bulletin boards and old records, and the Sierra Kingdoms, and grandfather's swimming holes and butcher shops, and neighborhood streets and summer days. No more burning away all my life, day by day, piece by piece, because you know what, son? I can burn too. I can make my own sun inside my lungs, and I'll smile while I do it. I'll spit out bone and dirt and dust bunnies from the corner of my own life. The janitor dragged and smiled, dragged and smiled. The cigarettes on the boy's lips needed to be tapped of ash. The sack waited for the wind. What do we do? Asked Billy. One thing left to do. The janitor slurred over his cigarette. What? what? The boys cried in harmony. Pray. I have been, Billy cried. Not to God. Not to God, who slept? Jack fired. The cigarette fell from the boys' lips. The janitor nodded. Like it had worked before. The sack, juiced by a carnival owner kind of wind, finished the crawl, the slither, the rustle through the cellar's story, screamed for the janitor's face, flew like an upstart crow through the rooted space, like a flooded organ howling for Jesus. The janitor dropped to his knees. He did not look past the end of his cigarette. You are our God. You reign over man and his machines and his polite little houses. We are pigs in your garden. His voice spilled into almost liturgical patterns. You came from the cities. Now you've come from the suburbs. They are yours. Do with them as you will. Save or take them to pieces. We will kneel. We will bow. We will trade out our hymns for jingles. Like pigs riding a carousel, we will close our eyes and go in circles. But it was an old prayer. The sack did not stop. Shamble like a man drunk on dollars. A night carnival steaming for the next small town to be fleeced. The small town was the janitor. The fleecing was not dollars, but every last breath he had.
all of them. The sack caught the wind like a kite, screamed for the janitor's face, howled like a kamikaze plane for the old man's mouth, nostril, lungs, mouth. The janitor blinked, ash fell from his cigarette. Jack's hand flew like a gunslinger, slung Benjamin Franklin like a Colt 45 slug into the wide machine mouth of the white plastic sack. The sack dropped to the cellar floor. A stray wind fiddled it slightly, as if waiting. Old Ben Franklin, printed on the American bill, snickered like a lunatic clown from inside the sack. The sack lay there, waiting for the wind. Quick. Give me a wallet. The janitor drew, did not ask. Jack stepped forward, stood like a mama bird roosting over the ornery onslaught of a mouth jacked wide by infant hate and hunger. Dropped two more Franklins, a Jackson, a Hamilton, three Washingtons, all the cash the wallet had into the mouth of the plastic sack, like all the dead presidents were worms. The janitor's cigarette needed to be tapped, but was not tapped. The boy's eyes needed to be wet, but were not blinked. The sack sat deciding on the wind. The boys and janitor blinked. They felt a November whisper come through the cellar during the blink. The cellar doors closed. The sack, gone, just like that. Billy thought he heard a dying radio signal out there in the machinery darkness, out in the slumbering carousel for pigs. Pig squeal and radio static. Three figures stood beneath a quiet farmhouse, in a cellar lit by a lone cigarette. How much time did we buy? Billy asked no one and everyone. Twenty. Thirty years. The smoke spun dirty ghost stories off the janitor's cigarette. Forty. His voice fell away. What happens when it comes back? Billy asked everyone and no one. Jack cracked a knuckle. We'll throw more money at it. Will it work? Billy whispered. The boys looked to the janitor. He revved the cigarette, let it idle, throttled it open, let out the clutch. I don't know.